1: This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 249, and forty nine. We're recording on Thursday, February 22nd. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Um, hey, hey. You know, we've got fallout. It's a fallout. Thanks so much.
0: <laughs> Follow-up uh, and fallout, and like, I'm already tired.
1: Fallout, oi is what we're doing. But before we get into that, actually, I do. I I said we didn't have any follow-up that wasn't sort of the length of one story, but I kind of do. I just forgot, Rebecca. I'm looking at my notes for it now. Publishers Weekly highlighted a couple of the books that have been picked for the PBS slash New York Times read-along (gasps) thing.
0: Oh, they did. And they looked at the sale.
1: And um, I don't have the numbers for the second pick off the top of my head, which I think was Sing Unburied Sing. The first pick was Killers of the Flower Moon. And Mm -hmm. that... Increased sales by 65% week over week and wow. bumped it back onto the hardcover nonfiction list at number 11, at least according to Bookscan. Again, mm-hmm. it was 5,000 copies, so it was up 2,000 copies or so, which okay. I don't know what to make of that number. I mean, it's not zero. 2,000 copies mm-hmm. of something is a big deal. On the other hand, a, a New York Times PBS team up about a book that's already really well known. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. What do you make of that number? Anything? Nothing Nothing burger, something burger, somewhere uh, in between? It's the
0: kind of percentage number that sounds yeah. really fancy. Right. Like, ooh, you want to get your book chosen for this because mm-hmm. you're going to get a 65% increase. But the raw numbers are not that impressive. Right.
1: And it's um, one of those things, too, where as if, after there's five or six of them, I would guess that that bump lessens, right? This is the first mm-hmm. one out of the gate you would expect to have an outsized return um, but we'll see. I, I thought that was interesting for them to track. I'm glad I, I, glad I said I don't know. I wish I would have done one of those guess, you know, I wish I would have guessed beforehand to actually put my side eye of the whole business under some more kind of put your money where your mouth is scrutiny about making a bet or putting some skin in the game. I think I wouldn't have guessed quite this high, but I would have said it would move some units. I also don't know exactly what kind of promotion they're giving it. So I've seen an ad in the print, New York Times Book Review for it, which I who knows about what, you know, what, what kind of juice that gets you. But if they're playing it on PBS radio and in the New Yorker or the New York Times book review podcast and other places, you know, how well known is it? They have 45,000 people in their Facebook group. Who knows what that means? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would say probably I'm surprised on the upside at this point a little bit. Now I'm not blown away, but I'm like, that's better than I would have thought. That's kind of where I am.
0: Yeah. It's, Better than I would have thought too. I think they will see, like you're saying, some diminishing returns yeah. as it becomes not that exciting. It's also an interesting first pick. Like that David grand pick is like that's if they had come out of the gate with something that was like a really like ju- juicy book cluby <laughs> fiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder what that like where that would have set the bar for the first one that then you're coming down from. Yeah. Afterwards, that's a strange, I think that's a strange selection for a first round. I think the award is
1: a strange a one for the second one. Like, it's, it won the frickin' National Book Award. Like yeah. I, I mean, I guess they want to talk about it, but in terms of, I guess a real test of the juice that that has is book no one's heard of. Pick. You know, what does right. that do? I mean, is this just right. a secondary social proof indicator of like, oh yeah, I've been meaning to read that really famous book by the National Book Award. <laughs> like, right. I don't know, are people buying? I guess it's a little bit of like, oh, that reminds me, I want to read that. Or in secondary indicator versus this is the, the, the leverage that this particular book group has to increase the sales and awarenesses of like arbitrary book X that doesn't have, say, you know, The Killers of the Flower Moon was a best-selling nonfiction book of all of last year. Uh, Sing Unburied Sing is a giant book by, you know, of our young crop of literary authors. Like, I don't know that you pick of one anyone over Ward, you know, in your draft of the future canonical status sort of thing. So, again, I'm not bagging on them. I'm just sort of saying those are confounding factors. And what do you do with that sales number um, Mm -hmm. to some degree? Yeah,
0: I think, you know, it's ultimately the top line of a story like this to me is, less about what the title is and how many it's sold than about how few books you have to sell to get <laughs> that, a large percentage. Equ- <laughs> totally
1: agree. It's like really Increased. only 20, uh, if you have 5,000 books but you at number 11 at the, at the hardcover nonfiction. Again... <laughs> right, like
0: David <sighs> Grant's not getting rich no, off of no, being selected no, no, for no, this no, book club. No, no. Nobody is getting rich. Like you're, you're gonna do pretty well if Oprah picks you. Yeah, actually um, the American
1: <laughs> Marriage stats are in this week's which I haven't looked Ooh, at. Oh yes. Um, I did see that was number one on the indie bookseller list for last week, which is not a surprise, but just, you know, confirmation. Um, again, it's not like the, like the old days where, you know, it was a million copies and she was on daytime basic cable hosting mm-hmm. the authors. It's like not, not those days, but still, you'd rather take it than not uh, by a long time. All right, let's do our first sponsor and we'll get into a follow-up that's even juicier than that follow-up.
0: Yeah. All right. Our first sponsor this week is Sometimes I Lie by Alice Feeney. This is out from Flatiron Books. Here is the synopsis. My name is Amber Reynolds. There are three things you should know about me. One, I'm in a coma. Two, my husband doesn't love me anymore. And three, sometimes I lie. So Sometimes I Lie will be a book obsession for you. A.J. Finn, who wrote The Woman in the Window, called it marvelous, a provocative, true or false thriller. And Behind Closed Doors author B.A. Paris said Sometimes I Lie is gripping. So if you're into a psychological thriller with an admittedly unreliable narrator, uh, and this time of year I think is perfect for a book like this, it's still cold, like winter is holding on, it's gross, in, I'm in Kansas right now, and it's gross here. <laughs> it's gross here, too. It was, it was gross in Richmond when I left. You need a good, gripping book to curl up with, help you pass the time, so you might want to pick up Sometimes I Lie by Alice Feeney. It's out from Flatiron. You can pick it up wherever books are sold, or we'll have a link to it in the show notes.
1: I am. Um... I uh, often click on the links for our own sponsors, even though if I know the book, because I'm curious what their landing page and everything look like. Sometimes lie lies actually a site skin on bookwrite.com today, beautiful skin. And, and it has one of the best landing pages for a book I've ever seen. I, I don't know what kind of endorsement that is. I haven't read the book. It does sound, you know, kind of uh, interesting, but a really beautiful, rich text. Uh, it was great. So I, I think the link to this, you'll see in the show notes where all the sponsors and links that we, or the stories we talk about there, you might click on it just to see uh, what, you know, the sort of the... Uh, Uh, cutting edge in book landing pages um, for URLs. It's a really beautiful book. Um, Okay. Uh,
0: uh, What if we just made noises for 20 uh, minutes instead? um,
1: (laughs) uh, We will do that, basically. (laughs) Um, So last week, we did the first round of Fallout from the... I don't know. It's weird. You know, and and I've put together a little bit. I think we talked about this the last week. So Anne Ursu wrote a piece on Medium about Me Too and children's publishing that had both the names of the participants and the people they were talking about anonymized, Mm -hmm. which went sort of by rhizome, a comment thread on a school library journal post about sexual harassment and children's publishing from January Became the outlet for where the comments were and reaction to that because Medium doesn't allow or didn't allow comments to that post. I don't know if that's Anne's choice or Medium's choice or something else like that. So you couldn't comment on that. So people found it sort of a secondary protocol, an escape pod to go do their things. And so for those of you keeping up or just to to reframe where we are, then last week we read or we talked about that both James Dashner. And Jay Asher, who I'm going to confuse because it's Jay and Ash and whatever. Um, the Ash Holes, as I'm thinking about them right now, <laughs> is, is confusing.
0: <laughs> That's the band nobody wants to No, play.
1: you don't want to join that band. Well, their first re- the first shoes to drop where um, they, they got dropped, both of them, by their agents. Mm-hmm. And we openly speculated last week about what would it take for them to be dropped by their publisher. Um, to be dropped by, you know, uh, bookstores, to be dropped by whatever. And lo and behold, and tell me what you think about this in a minute, PRH is dropping James Dashner. Um, They're going to continue selling the books in print, um, Mm -hmm. but they're not going to do any more. And I am pleasantly surprised that it happened at all, and B, that it happened this quickly. Um, tell me, too. tell me what your feelings are about this.
0: Yeah, I am. I think this is the right decision. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pleasantly surprised by how quickly they were able to act on this. Um, when Last week we were wondering aloud how easy it is for an agent to yes. break representation and that we've, we've heard from some folks in follow-up is actually usually relatively easy that either the person being represented or the agent can typically break or can often break a contract for any reason or no reason. Um, so those things happen quickly but publishing is like these are real big contracts that they're dealing with and there are a lot of um, things on the table. I think that hopefully published, I hope this means that publishing is getting the message that not acting on information like this is not going to be acceptable or received well by the public and that whatever financial hit they may take from not doing more James Dashner books will be made up for by continuing to have the literary community's trust in them be Mm -hmm. maintained. Um, yeah, I'm very happy um, to see that happen. It's still, it feels like we've been talking about this forever already, and also like we will be talking about it for many weeks mm-hmm. and probably months to come. Um, and we did get some feedback also from folks last week who were like, oh, please do name some names. Um, so... I don't think we want to do a big, long laundry list. You can read Mm -hmm. the comments of that school library journal um, one as well. But one now, though, one that we were heartbroken over um, was Sherman Alexie, Mm. uh, that there are now at least five women accusing him of sexual misconduct. Um, It it remains to be seen if anything's going to happen about that. I haven't seen him comment on it. Mm -hmm. Um, One of our contributors mentioned that uh, you don't have to say you love me very likely would be nominated for some of the book awards, mm-hmm. you know, in the early part of this year, looking back at 2017, it'd be interesting to see if that happens, um, and how, what the, what other kinds of fallout there might be. Um, but I think this is the right call by PRH, um, and probably not the last one of this type that we're going to see.
1: Um, and I, and the tech we're sort of taking now is to cover the news about the fallout. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think this is going to be the only node about this. Um, you know, we had some feedback, as you might expect, um, from listeners about being nervous about um, people being named in anonymous comments. Uh, I think we both share that concern. I think we are to the point, Rebecca, correct me, amend me, um you know if you feel substantially or even moderately differently that there's a sometimes you can see a pattern and mm-hmm. i think one or two comments on a post or even desperate over a couple places could be i don't know ignored could be registered but held in abeyance um and it's kind of a we know it and we see it when it's beyond that and i think with alexi for that common thread um Across the Rubicon of mm-hmm. of doubt, um, yeah. Unfortunately, um, so that, yeah, that's yeah, another
0: that's yeah, another one that we've been that we've been seeing some news about. Um, but I think I've only seen like tweets of a publisher mm-hmm. announcing announcing it, but not a coverage of it yet. And probably because there aren't, to my knowledge, details. Um, but Tristina Wright. I was just googling was it,
1: for a post. I'm glad. you yeah, met, I, I'm glad you was
0: accused of something. It's um, not clear. By, yeah, I have. I have. I've heard a, the
1: rumor, but I'm, it's it's, it's yeah. not enough where I can say specifically. Here.
0: Right, by a couple of people, and was dropped from an anthology that mm. she was going to participate in, and by a publisher um, who announced it, I think on Facebook or I, I think I perhaps Twitter. T- I think it
1: was on Twitter. Twitter.
0: No. Um, and so that like we're, take her book out of print. With that,
1: I mean, yeah, with yeah. that
0: with that piece of information, we're working under the assumption that in this case, the publisher knows some things that we don't know mm-hmm. um, that weren't included in the comments about her, um, details that weren't included in the comments about her, or um, what anybody else has said publicly. But for them to have made that decision, they must have investigated and concluded something pretty serious. Um, so there will probably be news to report about that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Speaking of comments that add up to something, mm. this one that broke just maybe yesterday yeah, or, in this the, in the last, or something. In yeah. the last couple of days, um, Daniel Handler, uh, who who writes the Lemony Snicket books, um, showed up in the comments section of a post. Uh, Gwenda Bond, who's a young adult author, um, wrote a post asking folks to sign. A like basically to sign a petition and commitment about dealing with harassment in the lit community. And this is also in response to Anne Ursu's piece and that school library journal piece. Um, and so Daniel Handler shows up in the comments and he says something about how this is, I read the comment thread a couple of days ago, um, how this is, of course, a very important issue that we should all be handling. And Kate Messner was the first author to say, like, welcome, Daniel, I'm glad that you're here. Let's talk about you. Um, and she tells some stories about inappropriate jokes and comments that he made to her at um, at some events, uh, literary events, a couple of years ago. And then a whole host—and she said, you know, I believe that you're here in good faith and that you want to change, and I'm glad to see that you're here. And so in the spirit of addressing the problem, let's address the problems that are related to you. Um, and a bunch of other women then jumped into the—other women who were involved in the kidlit community jumped into the comments as well to share their own experiences Uh, of being harassed by him. Uh, And the coverage here, this is from um, Pacific Standard, is the link that Mm -hmm. we have, notes that the... The women here made special care to say, like, this is this was an assault that happened. Like, they're talking about the spectrum of mm-hmm. bad behavior. Like, this isn't the he didn't do the worst things that a person could do, but the things that he did made these women feel small. He, um, they were certainly inappropriate in a professional context. He has he's very well known and has this position of power. Um, so there were a lot of things there, and the big question now is how's publishing going to deal with Lim Snicket,
1: mm-hmm. Um,
0: Because this certainly appears to be a pattern based on the uh, the number of comments, the similarities between those comments about this behavior, um, and just the, the sheer sort of volume of one of young adult and children's books' biggest stars. Um, mm-hmm. So I, that's a big question. Maybe by next week we'll have an answer about uh, what his publisher... Is doing, yeah. But we'll have a link here, you know, if you want to read the specifics there, we'll have a link about that um, as well. But, you know, this is water falling into all sorts of things where we were wondering aloud and asking our listeners last week, like, if you're a librarian or you're a mm. teacher, what are you doing about these people's books?
1: Um, uh, one response, just one response from a bookseller um, about Dashner, who has long mm. recommended the Maze Runner series sold a bunch of them and was heartbroken and is pulling the books off the shelf. Um, and is not thrilled by that decision, doesn't feel confident about it, feels torn, um, which I could certainly understand. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's hard too because, well, because there's so many reasons hard, and I don't need anyone here listening to, to understand why it's hard, but there is something I'm having trouble with. You can and cannot separate the book from the artist, right? Mm-hmm. Like I can I can read Ender's game, just to use one we've we've talked about before. Somehow I feel like I can read Ender's game in good conscience from my library or something like that. Um I don't know why, and I might be wrong. And maybe it's because I'm used to Orson Scott Card's deal. Um maybe it's because it feels like And, you know, what's the baby and what's the bathwater? I think we're all trying to figure out uh, Mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, So I I don't know. I think it's tricky. I I can certainly understand. Maybe we would always feel this way about these particular books. Um, You know, I think some people think or are feeling like I I can't abide that person financially benefiting from me selling their book, which I totally get. Um, And I would feel the same way. I don't know why I don't feel the same way about, you know, a-holes from history, You know, know, I don't know. It's tricky. I've been,
0: it it is tricky. I've been thinking about that and talking about it too. And I think it's really difficult to like retroactively rewrite your relationship to a piece of art. Um, And so where I am on it right now is like, like a prayer for Owen Meany is a book that has meant a lot to me for like 20 years now. Mm -hmm. And if it turns out that John Irving is a creep, I will be very unhappy. I will not buy any new John Irving books. Mm -hmm. But I also don't think that I could honestly say that that information would change the way that I have felt about a work for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Um, I wouldn't recommend any of his books publicly anymore. Like I would not be using... platform that we have to suggest that people support his work in any fashion Mm -hmm. but your private i think your private relationship to art you've already loved Mm -hmm. you know is that it's hard to rewrite it like in the same way that i think it's a cousin of the argument of like making a new ghostbusters with women in it doesn't change your relationship with the original ghostbusters that you loved you know um that all those guys were so upset about this summer. Like, finding out new information changes my feelings about a person's forward-going work. Yeah. And, like, I probably wouldn't go back and read any of the John Irving books that I haven't already read from his backlist. But I – at least this is where I am on Mm -hmm. it. I don't think that it – I don't think it would be authentic to, like, try to retroactively – rewrite my relationship to a piece of art um based on that it would be really sad for it to be for that like meaningful thing to be tinged with knowing something really gross mm-hmm. um but that's ki- that's kind of where i have fallen so far on this who knows like it just yeah. feels like a moving target no it is a moving so target and i what? guess
1: one thing too, it's a good point to say you know that experience that relationship you have a book it, It certainly can be altered. It can have a different shade um, to it, too. But it doesn't necessarily mean the bit will flip from I love this thing to I hate this thing. It could be... I mean, you know, it's like... But bad people write good books, and good people write boring bad books. And (laughs) I don't know what to do with that truth. You know, I don't know what to do with the truth of I love Walt Whitman, and yet he prevaricated and lied about... You know, he wrote false reviews. He wrote anonymized reviews of his own books... (laughs) <laughs> in newspapers like that's fraud you know like whatever i mean, i'm even saying it with a laugh but if someone did that now right mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I don't know that that's something that you could deal with and, and there, there is some maybe we will move to a moment this is what i've been thinking about of late of which it's not that i separate from the art from the artist nor do i conflate them but somewhere in the middle a third way of the book is great but Mm-hmm. The author is bad, but they did this you know, thing, but I, I don't know. Maybe. I just, I wonder if that's going to be a possible way of, of handling some of these things. I don't know.
0: I think also our private relationships to pieces of art are really different from public, sort of, I guess, public responsibilities that... Like teachers and librarians and members of the media, like us, right. who have a platform to recommend work on, that like those are it's two different kinds of math, you know. Mm. Like how I would feel about my long term relationship with a prayer for Owen Meany is a separate calculus from what I would what kind of responsibility I would feel to ever talk about John Irving at all publicly in a place where people pay attention to what i say about books and make economic decisions about those that you know based on those recommendations that lead to support of authors like that lead to like direct financial support of authors who have done terrible things and tied up in all of this right now especially is not just like you know these these authors did terrible things it's that they were in these guys we're hearing about so far are in positions of power mm-hmm. that they have acted inappropriately against other members of their same industry in ways that either directly or potentially harmed those people's careers. And that's it's whole that's a whole other thing. Like yeah. if you're a liminy snicket, you can feel like you can get away with saying anything. And if the woman that you say it to then feels unsafe going to future events where you'll be speaking? What kind of professional consequences and and future financial consequences um, does she experience or opportunities does she miss because Mm -hmm. of that moment? And that's just so, those systematic pieces are so much bigger than how do we wrestle with our individual relationships with a piece of art and separating the art from the creator. And I think you can be fuzzier about it with your own personal relationship to a work. But when you're talking about, you're the one in charge of deciding which books are on the shelf or which books go on a reading list for a group of students mm. or which books get to be on your top 10 recommended post that 100,000 people are mm. going to read. That's, it's a different, those are just different questions or maybe points on the spectrum. I don't know, but I, yeah, I feel I, like I, I, I,
1: at some At some part, I, part of my heart feels like you're right and a part of my heart feels like you're wrong and that I don't think you... I don't think we can cleave our hearts in two about art like that as easily as maybe it would seem. Because um, I would feel, you know, th- to take it back to Marilyn Robinson, right? I would mm-hmm. feel real loss if mm-hmm. something came to light that my relationship with her publicly, the work public, like our relationship with her publicly in yeah, the yeah, podcast yeah. was then verboten because... Mm-hmm. of something. Now again, there's things she could do, of course. I'm I'm not saying that's like it's a, but I'm saying that some like the handler stuff, for example, is clearly bad and really gross. But it's different than sexual assault. It's sexual harassment in public. Like it's super weird and nasty, but it's also not the same as Harvey Weinstein as we've said before. And I think that there there is a spectrum too which makes any declarative statement about what you're going to do about a book or an author void until you know what the specifics are, because the mm-hmm. specifics yeah, matter. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah,
0: the specifics do matter. So the
1: specifics matter. So I don't know. So because this handler stuff, at least what we know now is gross, and even and um, the author talks with Anne Ersu and some other people, and even Anne, even Anne, or Anne is saying this isn't assault, but it's harassment. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know what to do with that difference. It certainly, I feel and can, or I don't feel, I understand the difference. But does it, it, does it cross the Rubicon of taking action about Dan, Daniel Handler's work, right? And that's what's weird, right? Like, are mm-hmm. they all going to? So, like, if it's not, I'm never going to talk about them in public again. I'm not going to recommend their books. Is that our only choice, Right, because it seems like everyone who there's a line that someone has to cross, and some of this I'm I'm kind of talking around editorial discussions that we're having ourselves. Right? Do they get put on a list? Do they get, you know, we just don't talk about them. Their books are off limits, and there's a minimum viable threshold to be on the list, and everything that one does to get on the list is sort of functionally the same in terms of consequence, or what can happen in the future. And I think you know, I some I got some really nice feedback about people appreciating us saying we can change our minds tomorrow. You can change your minds tomorrow. It's okay to not know. It's okay to be angry and feel like, screw all these people forever, if that's what you do. But also you can hold, you can come back and reevaluate how you feel about it. It's just such a messy transitional moment um, for how we're thinking about this. And as Handler one, I think is a little bit farther down, tell me if I'm wrong. I, I might be wrong. A little farther down the spectrum of badness than some of the, at least from, by Dashner and Asher being dropped so quickly, it feels like there's nastier stuff going on that we mm-hmm. don't know about.
0: Well, yeah, I, I don't know. d I'm
1: not sure. I'm not well, sure. I'm not sure.
0: You know, I'm I don't know if there's nastier stuff. Maybe there's not Maybe Handler there's not. that yeah. we don't know about. I think um, to like just to build context, I think if Daniel Handler were not famous and powerful in the world of Kiblet, his these would still be very inappropriate behaviors. Yes, yeah. But they're their potential impact would be different. And so that like, that's how does that factor into the math yeah. that people do? Like um, pro- maybe to segue to another of the stories oh, that is on this yeah. list. Mm-hmm. Um, last week, um, Mike Cole, who's a sci-fi and fantasy writer wrote a blog post where he owned up to having harassed women, basically to aggressively hitting on them um, like unrelentingly. And that, women told him after the fact that they, like, did not want to attend events where he was present. Um, He's removed himself from the board of some organizations that hold social events for people who write sci-fi fantasy because he no longer wants any woman to not attend an event because he will be present. Um, So, and, and he's, like... He's kind of known in the online world of sci-fi fantasy, but he's not Daniel. He's not the mm. Daniel Handler of sci-fi fantasy. Um, I think that if the Mike Cole of Kidlit had made the comments that Daniel Handler made, they still would have been damaging and inappropriate. But because he doesn't have the kind of power and position that Daniel Handler has, um, the size of the impact. Would be smaller. Um, And so that's like just to sort of put those pieces together Mm -hmm. and think about that there's a bunch of vectors. And one is how egregious is the behavior? And another is what kind of impact does the behavior have on the victim mm-hmm. of it both personally and professionally and what kind of fallout is there then a risk to other people from for experiencing those same things like they're and they're all connected these pieces magnify each other if you're famous and you do really horrible things that's worse than being unfamous and doing some kind of terrible things but if you're famous and you do kind of terrible things how does that compare to being unfamous but doing really terrible Mm. things. Like how does it all, you can't, it feels like there should be some rubric where we can somehow figure out a way to assign each (laughs) thing. It reminds me of of, uh, that scene in
1: Dead Poets Society where they're evaluating poetry, right? On one, on one axis, you have have one axis, you have the um, skill with which the, the the, Mm -hmm. the work of art is executed on the other axis. You have the importance of the theme and you can sort of graph and calculate the surface area of the resulting triangle to calculate, Mm -hmm. I think we do. I think a lot of the comments I've seen in insiders on Slack and, and Twitter and other places is I feel like one thing people are and I, I people I I am a person and I am in, definitely a part of this is wanting a differential to properly assign. Yeah. Justice.
0: What is the badness score? Yeah,
1: what is the situation and the specific Mm -hmm. words and the timeline and the fallout? And if we get all those things dial in, then we can take it to our mental judge and assign the appropriate sentence of four to seven years or a community service. Like we have a model in our screwed up justice system for like the, the increasingly bad thing you do the longer you get in jail. We don't know, A, what jail is and B, how long you should be in it for this stuff. We don't know either of them nor do we really have a sense of what reasonable doubt is at this point. Um, so I think if we're using the justice system model, we're kind of nowhere. And what people are concerned about, I, I think the people who are being cautious on the side of taking these accusations all the way seriously, entering them into the record, so to speak, is knowing that it's, these, these are not legalistic terms that would hold up mm-hmm. in a court of law, which they're of course right. We are also not in a court of law, but I understand the reticence. Even if I don't share the the interpretation or analysis, at least for this particular moment at eleven thirty eight M on Thursday, February twenty second. <laughs> um, but I do think there is something like we want to we want to shape a just response to this behavior, and we don't know what that is.
0: It's it's tricky, you know. I do think that part of a just response is there actually being consequences. Right, yeah. Yeah. Is that
1: your segue? And, I mean, you brought up this, but let's talk about
0: yeah, this. Yeah, this is my segue to, Mike Cole wrote this blog post. He acknowledges the wrongdoing, apologizes for it, amongst some other things. And like there is a tendency when a man does a thing wrong and then acknowledges it for there to be, we've called, we call it cookie giving mm-hmm. <laughs> around Book Riot, to be like, oh, you have apologized, and that is such a good apology, and here is your cookie for having apologized for a thing you should never have done in the first place.
1: The only thing more virtuous for a white dude than acting virtuous is to do something bad and then apologize authentically after the fact. Like There is a, <laughs> weird, there's a, there's a weird assignation of laurels for that behavior that I've never and- understood.
0: It makes me very shouty, yeah, and,
1: so.
0: <laughs> and and so on that vector this week, and the way that this news was delivered to me um, on that channel was like here in evidence that there are actually no consequences professionally for men who admit that they have harassed women. John Scalzi who is a huge sci-fi fantasy writer with a blog that gets a very mm-hmm. wide readership, and he has a large following online.
1: Six-figure, no, seven-figure book deals. Yes, whole of the big old match, book yeah.
0: deals. Big old book deals. He is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, he ran a guest post earlier this week by Mike Cole. This was after the um, blog post where Mike had admitted to his wrongdoing, um, in which Mike Cole writes about writing a strong female heroine. And I will say, like John Scalzi appears to be on vacation, and the only comment on this post is John Scalzi himself saying, "I'm on vacation in a place without good internet, so I'm closing the comments here because I don't have time to be moderating them." But if he like, so it is possible, I suppose you can feel me like reaching for a generous interpretation that John Scalzi ran this without knowing what had been going we on with my taking it
1: down. If you I can close the do? comments, you can take the yep. post down.
0: It is possible, but I do not think it is plausible. I hear your generous reading
1: overture. and It is acknowledged.
0: Thank you. Um, It only took me like six years to learn how to do that. (laughs) Um, So I think it's possible, but very not plausible, that Scalzi knows nothing of this Mike Cole business. Instead, it looks like he knows and either doesn't care or thought the apology was enough to be like, yes, I will still give you my platform to promote your new book, my platform with its huge readership. Mm -hmm. So like, this is what it looks like when you get to harass women, acknowledge it, be rewarded for your apology, and then actually given a new place to promote your work.
1: I don't get it. I don't know what else to say about this particular one. I I don't, I I don't don't get get it. Um, let's take for the moment the possibility that Scalzi didn't know about the Mike Cole accusations and his apology. Let's say for that minute that that's a plausible, or a possible, if not entirely plausible, and certainly not probable scenario. For those of you who care about probability and reasoning. Um, Let's say then that, I mean, because the thing that really makes that fall apart is your Wi-Fi and your cruise ship is good enough to know there's a problem and to shut down the right. comments, but not to click on three links
0: or like to find
1: out what the problem is <laughs> and take the post down and say, you know what? I'll look at this and I'll think about it again later. Like that's okay. You could have done and that.
0: Scalzi like tends to be pretty aware in general of online issues and very vocal about social issues. You know, though, Rebecca, I mean, come on, y- you things. know that
1: you, you, so. you've you told me more about this than I've ever learned on myself, but, like, you can't believe any of these guys. You can't. Because so was Mike. So was Sherman Alexie. So was Daniel Handler. Like, oh, all, yeah, the, all think, of them talked like, the game. They all did. Yeah,
0: it's but like that. that is what's particularly disappointing about this like and there is some great analysis of daniel handler in the piece that yeah. we've linked to in the you show should read notes the piece if you care
1: about this that, be like,
0: yeah basically anytime a man is excellent at using the rhetoric of feminism raise at least one eyebrow yeah. um because that's there's a documented history of men you know Per, being per, Amanda and I call it being performatively woke.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, performative wokeness that makes women trust you. Um, performative wokeness that makes you seem safe. And so, like, I don't know to what degree the Scalzi stuff is or is not performative. But I was previously willing to believe he was genuinely u- using his platform to raise awareness of these issues. And he was active in encouraging people to sign a petition previously for... Um, Literary events all having, like, codes of conduct Mm -hmm. about what would be acceptable behaviors. Like, this is a thing that he at least knows is a potential problem and is aware of and has discussed online and has used his position to discuss that. So it's especially disappointing, then, to see this happen, like, three days after, um, to see him give a platform to somebody who, like... Yeah, Mike's apology was a good one, but he shouldn't have had to make it in the first place. And the response to someone acknowledging that kind of behavior and responding should not be, here, have access to my million reader.
1: And it's such a piss in the eye, too, that The Post is about writing strong female characters. Like, it's one so thing, if it's like, much. if it's something about just some arbitrary writing problem X, it's still, it's still a weird moment and and mm-hmm. beyond weird, maybe. But that this is the topic... Is yeah, and it, even more you know, puzzling also, and infuriating. I was
0: gonna say, like Mike Cole should have emailed John Scalzi and been like, "Dude, this is not a good That's time." A like, really just- good point. Like this is, it's ultimately like, this is ultimately a Mike Cole problem yes. where if you're, if you have just igno- like, this is a lack of self-awareness. He got like just enough self-awareness to figure out with the help, I will say also of a woman friend who emailed him about his behavior, like got just enough self-awareness to figure out that it would be a good move to admit publicly to having done this. Sometimes when get, we d-
1: get drunk and do a private podcast, just of oh close reading that note. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've talked to you a little bit, but there's there's a lot uh-huh. going on there. I, Again, a, again, it's all beyond the pale of responsible reportage to, to speculate. But there's some weird stuff about that, too. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, you're right. I hadn't really thought about that moment either. Of Mike should have been, like, dude, read the room. <laughs> like, get, or, or, Go or, the right, hell away like, hey, for a while. You know, and this is not post, the right thing.
0: Right, like that post I wrote you about strong female heroines, this is not the moment for me to be talking about Women at all, honestly, and like the thing that I said to you privately is, if no man ever writes another anything (laughs) about how to write strong female characters, that will be also just fine. Like women are doing okay, guys.
1: Right? Is is there is there another blog post from on Scalzi's blog from a guest about writing strong female women, and is it by a woman? Like, is this the first post Mm. on Scalzi's blog about writing female characters? It's by Michael. I don't want the answer. I'm I'm trying not to laugh because I don't know what else to do because it's so absurd. Anyway,
0: so this is what it looks like when there are not consequences.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I don't. I mean, I've been I've been traveling with bad Wi-Fi, so I do know it's tough. But if I'd almost be more willing to think that's true if he hadn't said anything. Like Mm -hmm. I just, I it was scheduled. Mike turned it in. Maybe Mike didn't even know it was going up. Like he turned. He, you know, these are things that happen. Those are all or like, possible things. If
0: he hadn't closed the comments, if it had yes. just been like, this Radio happens and he comes John, back yeah. from vacation and is like, oh, you know, my oh, God. now there's a hundred so, people. Oh, my God, I didn't yeah, know. Right. Yeah. yeah.
1: Anyway, I'm sure we'll get an apology from John that will be heartfelt and warm and everyone will applaud him and whatever. Um, so, I don't, okay, where are we? I'm off the agenda. I'm looking in the space. I, I, I don't know where we are. that
0: concludes our moment of grossness and we can do our
1: next um, mm, let's do our sponsor um, and we got some others i'm, I'm not going to promise well, it's all not gross uh, it's
0: not yeah this is this this particular <laughs> right. flavor we'll move on to grossness. the next
1: uh, garbage all fire. the fruits
0: on the tree are gross yeah. this week <laughs>
1: uh, all right this episode of the book ride podcast is sponsored by libby you know, it's I haven't been talking about Libby. I should have been mentioning how much I like Libby before. I know you're this is gonna be a shock to everyone <laughs> that hear that secret. I like Libby. Jeff
0: O'Neill loves Libby. Libby is
1: the one tap reading app from Overdrive. Uh, from your library, powered by Overdrive, downloading Libby to your smartphone allows you to borrow thousands of ebooks and audiobooks for free anytime. anywhere. You do need a Wi-Fi connection. That's not technically true, but I see what they're saying. You'll find library books in all genres, ranging from bestsellers, classics, nonfiction, comics, and much more. Libby works on Apple and Android devices and can battle with Kindle. All you need is a library card, but you can't sample any book in the library collection without one. In some places, Libby will even get your library card for you instantly through the app, which feels like magic. (laughs) Learn more at https. Colin backslash backslash com <laughs> backslash period or search for Libby in your you know app store of choice happy reading um, my sister in law Meredith and her friend Scotty who Scotty listens to the show hi Scotty, uh, hi Scotty were apparently talking about Libby at lunch and so Meredith was texting me a bunch of Libby related questions so I, I can verify that civilians out there are using and loving uh, uh, Libby Meredith told me about she's doing the read harder challenge and she told me about a book um, that she's listening to through Libby that's called Skyjack, that is sort of, it's a history of, you know, D.B. Cooper who jumped off that plane in the 60s um, with a bunch of money. Do you know this story? You don't know this story. I can no, tell by I don't know this story. Basically, no. a dude boarded a plane from, I think, Portland to L.A. was the flight, hijacked it, landed, got, got the plane down in L.A., asked for $200,000 in cash what? to keep, keep the crew on board, then fly back towards Seattle and midway through the flight, he kicks open the emergency door and parachutes out. What? And no one's ever heard from him. True story.
0: Wait, so he took his two hundred grand.
1: Yep, and he's gone, and no, and no, never been resolved. Like some of the money was found, like buried in a beach somewhere at some oh, point. Like, later. Why would you bury the money? Well, not just some of it. Like I, I don't know. So if I have questions, so Jeff. that's your that's your hot reading, Libby. Pick at least it's available here in the Multnomah County Library System. Skyjack. She said it was great. I'm going to listen to this through Libby at some point too. Skyjack crazy. D.B. Cooper. Uh, That's Libby. Thank you so much to them for sponsoring the show. I am not only... A president, I am the user. No, that's the first club. You know, you know, the old 90s uh, stay at home watch prices, well, right? While you're sick, uh, yes.
0: Jogger. We do, uh, we do love it when we have a sponsor that we get to yes. personally endorse, and it's particularly great for Libby. My parents are recently retired yes. and they have also recently reacquainted themselves with the public library. And just like an hour ago, I was explaining to them that they could get audiobooks on their phones mm. through the Libby app. Um, and it does, seem it does like feel magic. like magic,
1: it does feel like magic. Um, we got a lot of, fo- this is, we're going to do extended follow-up about a couple of things. Um, the first, we got a lot of people writing about Barnes and Noble, um, not unexpectedly, but a lot of birdies, um, mm-hmm. asking for their names not to be used. Uh, I read the emails, I, 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 I read her email, uh, Rebecca doesn't, if there's something that's, you know, she needs to respond to or something specifically her, I'll forward it to her, but, uh, I usually don't send her the response and then I will kind of give her, um. Yeah, uh, 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 an abstract version. So I'm going to do that and have her react as a way of talking about this. Except to say that I don't think there's a lot of new information here. It's just reaffirming. Mm. I, I think the one adjective disc- from one of a, someone who still works at a Barnes & Noble and asked has to be, remain anonymous is that the mood there is funereal, which is oh. not an adjective you want to use nope. to describe your business. Um, no one is really on a meta level surprised. I think there was some surprise because management had said there's not going to be layoffs and surprise about how it was executed. But in terms of another rung down the ladder into the abyss, none of the people that wrote us um, were surprised. I think mm. many of them shared our diagnosis, prognosis, however you want to, whatever osis you want to use, that this is, not the, this is not a save the ship move. Um, this is not a, oh yes, now, now we see, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> now we have seen the promised land. And if we only execute all along these vectors, it'll all be fine. Um, I think if, if anything, the, um, sentiment, the fact, whatever it was that was reported that their holiday quarter for Barnes and Noble was a disaster is maybe even worse than has been reported. And again, some of it could be the particular stores being reported from, um, you know some of them some former employees going so far as to say you know they've mismanaged so badly for so many years i'm just not even going to buy books there like it's not i don't it's not even worth trying to save because like they haven't been a good actor like some people tracing it back to 2014 apparently there was a corporate memo where barnes and noble wanted and wanted to make sure that every single barnes and noble felt the same like if you're one in houston you didn't know mm. that you were in, you were in houston versus one where you're in boston or san francisco which to me feels nuts that's where i come from and a lot of them cited the waterstones which is the uk chain and indigo which even if you don't necessarily know where you are like that the experience itself is being the doubling down on the in bookstore experience where it seems like barnes and noble has done we've talked about this to some degree too as the in bookstore experience has gotten if it's stagnated at best i would say right (laughs) um since like 96 maybe if not, gone downhill from there um some inside baseball stuff about how important receiving managers are and that those full, I think you mentioned this to some degree too, when you're talking about it as a former green apron or yourself, Mm -hmm. um, that those receiving managers, it's a behind the scenes job, but it really matters in terms of sales and sale through and getting merch from the back onto the show floor where humans can buy it, which is, I think what a bookstore is supposed to do. um, so that, that that's it. I again no I don't want to use any names. I want to thank you all for writing. I know it's difficult. A lot of you are going from a difficult time. Um friends, coworkers that have been fired. Um, they said some of the jobs like head cashier like some of the jobs they could see going to all part-time might make sense. The thing they noted, which I thought was interesting too, is their motivation to do to to do get people into memberships and subscriptions and sidelines and everything else. Is not, you know, your pay isn't performance based, you know, if you're an hourly. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't have much investment in the ongoing, you know, uh, financial health of that particular store if you're getting paid nine bucks an hour in Schenectady. Um, you know, you'll get your, you're not planning on making a career out of it necessarily, especially right now. So, the marginal value of these other things and propping up the stores, not propping them up makes it sound nefarious, of increasing, hitting sales goals, you don't really care as much because why should you? You're getting paid $8 an hour in Schenectady. Um, I was, I was wondering if we would get some, it's not all that bads. And I got the opposite mm-hmm. of all that. It's not all that Yeah. Bads. Um, if anything, I'm, I feel worse about Barnes and Noble's future no. after reading them yeah. than, than anything Even
0: else. Funereal does not inspire a lot of confidence.
1: It's hard to think of something worse. Um, fetid, yeah. you know, rotting. <laughs> I, I yeah. don't know what else to say about it. Um, I don't know. I don't know, Rebecca. I mean, I don't know. I I I don't know if I've been Pollyannish about Barnes and Noble over the years. I think I've been more. Physical bookstores are durable, in a way Mm. um, that there is something to the experience. But if you screw up that experience, then what do you have? One person wrote in, and I don't. I thought it was interesting as a comment. I hadn't really thought about them in parallel. Is that some of the resilience, and turn to? Well, I think I mentioned the annotated podcast actually a little bit about that Barnes & Noble could never benefit from the the turn that independent bookstores and the ABA did about Mm -hmm. branding and identity. Mm -hmm. They could never do that because they weren't local. They didn't really participate in the community. They had events, but they weren't like, you didn't have Barnes & Noble at the bake sale. You know, you didn't have Barnes & Noble doing that.
0: If you're trying to make your bookstore feel like McDonald's, where everyone is the same thing, then you do really deprive yourself of the opportunity to make people feel connected Mm. to that store for a particular for a particular reason like to to have a store in austin feel the same as a store in albuquerque like is you get consistency but you don't get like you don't get anything to distinguish yourself yeah, um, and, and even if you like
1: Barnes and Noble, like there's this thing that happens when you buy a full cover hardback at an independent bookstore, where you feel like you're contributing to that store's health, right? Mm-hmm. Where I think buying a book at a mall Barnes and Noble, even if you kind of are, it doesn't feel like that's what you're doing, right? Because it's this giant corporate right. behemoth. It doesn't feel like you know it's a drop in the the giant bucket.
0: Yeah, and it's not owned by somebody who yeah. lives in your town. And
1: um, there's you know there's it, it, so I think they got caught in the middle, and I think one thing that's happening writ large in the world of social networks, media sites, whatever, in this age of the internet, is that you either want to be real big, or real small. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you get, if you're get, if you in the middle, if you're, you know, Barnes & Noble is the mashable of book selling. Um, yeah. And being in the middle right now sucks. And You know, people have worried forever about what would happen if Barnes & Noble was out of business. I'm afraid we're going to go to see The thing that bothers me the most about it, there's a lot of things that bother me the most about it, but in terms of buying your books online, your choice will be buy them at extreme loss-leading discount from Amazon or full price from independent bookstores. Like, Barnes & Noble also did provide this other thing, at least in the world of online book buying, where you could buy discounted hardbacks, but... Not buy a shop on Amazon, which I don't know where you go now. Borders is gone, but I I don't know. I mean, go to Walmart, Target. I don't, can you buy, can you buy every ISBN that Barnes and Noble stocks through Walmart or Target? I probably don't think so. I shouldn't find out, but like that's another piece too of the ecosystem, as only would consolidate Amazon's online retail might. all right, all right, now I'm just monologuing. I mean, I'm not sure what else to say, Rebecca. Uh, any any other thoughts? I mean, what are we going to... I guess one thing people were saying is like, when are we going to know? Are we just going to wake up and they'll go bankrupt? Or like, what? Wh- wh- mm. how many shoes does this Caterpillar have to drop? I don't understand.
0: I am, oh, I am sad to say I think it's going to be... It, my feeling about it is that it's going to be like a long, yeah. slow decline that I... Would almost prefer to just wake up and get the news one day that, like, this has happened and now it's over um, and just process. But given our history with Barnes and Noble and Barnes and Noble's you can't even history fail right. with, sl- <laughs> I was going to say, with slowly failing, which is what they appear to be doing, uh, I think it's not going to be pretty. It's going to get ugly before it gets any better, would be my. I mean, assessment. I
1: guess if we're really in this mode of a of a slow or medium-slow decline, then you might see something at the corporate level like we speculated about last time of, it grows private, it gets bought, it declares bankruptcy. Clint was saying, you know, that's one of my that they might want to do is like bottom out, declare bankruptcy and try to move it or restart from whatever foundations are left. Again, those are definitely all uh, funereal situations um, for sure, I guess. In ten years, can you go? Can you let's hear here? I guess in ten years, will you be able to go into a Barnes and Noble in relatively good-sized cities in a bunch of places in the U.S.? I guess that's the question. Mm. I, that. I think it's fifty-fifty.
0: Yeah,
1: um, I think there's going to be a lot fewer stores. I don't, I don't like, like, the like the odds. The odds. I, I certainly wouldn't bet um, a stack of Benjamins. I wouldn't. I wouldn't stack a. a, a I wouldn't bet a stack of um, Thin Mints on this at this point. And I do like a thin <laughs> mint, Maybe that's not. Fair. I mean, uh,
0: maybe that's yeah. You like the all thin right. Mints. Let's do our
1: last sponsor, and then we'll we'll do a couple of real round robin of, of stories.
0: Yeah, our last sponsor this week is A Girl Like That by Tanaz Bethina. Varen Wadia is many things a bright and vivacious student, an orphan, a risk taker. She's also the kind of girl that parents warn their kids to stay away from, a troublemaker whose many romances are the subject of endless gossip. As her story is pieced together, though, it becomes clear that she was far more than just a girl like that. This beautifully written debut novel from Tanaz Bethina reveals a rich and wonderful new world. It tackles complicated issues of race, identity, class, and religion, and it paints a portrait of ambition, angst, and alienation that feels both inventive and also universal. This begins with Zarin and Porus, who are the main characters. They are dead in a car crash in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, The rest of the book is a fast-paced, fascinating story that unfolds with multiple voices coming together to unravel the mystery of their deaths. Um, It addresses slut-shaming and gender politics, bullying and gossip, expectations and standards to which girls are held in modern society. So this is a big debut from Tanaz Bethina that uses distinct universal themes to address crucial contemporary conversations. Again, it's called A Girl Like That. It's by Tanaz Bethina, and it is out now. We'll have a link in the show notes all
1: right um a little more follow-up in 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 gross dudes who stayed too long at the gross dude party in the news cycle he who shall not be named mm. dropped his pathetic doomed <laughs> sad weak sad. he's like
0: the 24 year old who's still going to the high right. school he party. definitely
1: is um uh, matthew mcconaughey and days in confused at this point um Drops his lawsuits against Simon Schuster. There's there's some transcript of him trying to represent himself in court, which in my, to my mind has not. Ever in human reality been successfully done, yeah, no. like only Matt Damon in Goodwill <laughs> no. Hunting. I think that scene alone has gotten people to think that it's possible. I think it's one of the situations where it's like it's like going to try to hit major league hitting. It's like I didn't look that hard. It's like, like I could I could stand it against attorneys. a 86 mile per hour curveball. Nope, you're dead. You should just go away and go away in shame. Yeah. Um, and he's gone.
0: Even actual attorneys are not supposed yes, that's to represent right, that's right. themselves.
1: Uh so I don't know. Like, you know, you know what makes, you know, what, you know how fast the news cycle is? This story we first covered in 1978. Did you know that? That's the first time we can talk <laughs> about this story. It's been it 40 years. Like We've been talking about no, it, that just feels that way. It's probably like yesterday. That, that's how the news cycle goes these days. So, in terms of the book related uh, angle on this dude, this, uh, this is it. He dropped. The, we talked about the suit. We sort of talked about, speaking of people hitting every la- rung of the ladder on the way down, <laughs> he certainly did. Um, and this was the final thud uh, of this particular book related story. Um, so, in the halls of justice, I think this one goes on the chalkboard for now. Um, God, mm-hmm. this is another terrible story. Okay, you get to deal with this one.
0: Uh, okay, yeah. At least it's a horse of a different sort. Is it, color though? Today. Is it? Man, yeah. no, it's all, it's all bad. It's, it's just all bad. It's like 2 <laughs> o'clock in the afternoon here. I want to have a beer. This oh, is just God. sad. So residents of Orange City, Iowa are petitioning the public library for a couple of things related to books that deal with LGBTQ themes. The first is they want those books to be kept in a separate place in the library, a separate section, which... Okay, we've heard this story before. The thing that makes it, and like we've, we have our feelings about this. These books should be available mm-hmm. to people and easy to find, and you should not have to like
1: go behind a velvet, you know, curtain, go behind show a show the beaded special curtain. sign, yeah. say Shibboleth or whatever else it is. Right. You shouldn't have to do any of that.
0: Right. There's nothing, and there should be no, like, you shouldn't have to, like, cross (laughs) a shame threshold in a public library to get to any material. Um, The most unique piece of this proposal, I think, is that they also want a halt on any new acquisitions for the library that contain lgbtq themes without public input so basically anytime a librarian wanted to what the thing they want to have happen is that anytime a librarian wants to buy a copy of george by alex gino they have to they would have to present information about the books to someone for right. approval, uh, you know, or it'll somehow be to present a, them to a, a the public, like a very
1: measured, level headed board of parents. I, I mean, that's probably to John who would
0: Lithgow and be, Footloose, <laughs> you know, a
1: really, a really disinterested, fair, uh, yeah. group of seven, uh, it's, parents.
0: Yeah, so it is, um. Yeah, well, actually, now that I'm like further into this, my John Lithgow and Footloose reference is pretty accurate um, because this comes, be shocked, This it comes out of a church group. As a congregation, we are shocked that tax money is being used to push this agenda even further, said the reverend of Grace Reformed Presbyterian Church. As pastors, we have been silent for far too long. We've rolled over for far too long. This ends now. Good. Um, the, Great. Mm, mm-hmm. So there's no information in this piece about like actually what they propose the mechanism should be the like take it before John Lithgow and Footloose is probably the thing they imagine having uh, happen like some librarian would have to stand up and this is pr- it's it's citizens masquerading as we're like concerned for our community when what they're really trying to do is impose I do, personal I do love values the, onto they've been
1: pushing their agenda for too long at the expense of our crazy <laughs> stupid agenda well and.
0: You know, churches are not, they are, you know, tax free. Entities there is a separation of church and state, and so the church doesn 't get to comment on how to i 've never understood that. i mean
1: i 've never understood the five hundred status of church organizations it's, i mean isn 't this political speech i mean i thought I thought you mm-hmm. were prohibited in fi- if you were fi- if not maybe they 're not maybe they 're a for profit church I have no idea anyway that's that 's a side note this is dumb yeah, this is horrible it's... this is hateful this is gross don 't do this don 't don't this is I, yeah this is almost it 's not worse. It's more mm-hmm. shameless than saying we don't want in the library at all. Like the special section for LBGTQ plus stuff, like mm-hmm. it's so retrograde and hurtful that I almost don't even know what to say. Besides, I can't even think of anything interesting to say or smarter or nuanced. Like it's, yeah, it's just terrible.
0: And then, like, it's just separated from yeah. reality in several ways. Like, the notion that not having books about LGBTQ themes in your library is somehow going to keep anyone from being gay, like, that's crazy. And not yeah. how It's like the works. abstinence
1: only also, of uh, LGBTQ texts, right? Like, right? if you don't talk <laughs> yes. about it, then, you know, people won't have sex. That, that's how it works. Yeah.
0: It, Right. It's not like, it's not like kids who live in those places have higher rates of unwanted pregnancy and STDs, Jeff. That's not what happens at all. Um, so like it's separated from reality in that way, but also that this group of citizens thinks that they're going to like override the public library (laughs) and the ways that those things function, the, they presented this proposal, I guess, um, to the Orange City Public Library Board of Trustees earlier this week. Um, about 20 people spoke, half supporting the inclusion of the books and about half sharing reservations about them. The board took no action, but plans to have its policy committee review the public input and compare its current collection development mm. policies to other libraries to see if changes are warranted, which is code for <laughs> they're not going to do a damn thing because no other library is yeah. like, you know what, maybe I we should call looked it around the church and, and see other-
1: libraries doing really bigoted prejudiced things, and so we're going to get on that That, bandwagon. That's a train we want to board.
0: And yeah, this is, and like I'm pretty happy to see that this is the response. It's like, we'll review it, because they know that what's going to happen is that their policies are in line with what other libraries do. Libraries don't call up the church to get their input. They don't hold votes about which books they can include. Like, you know, that this is just not the way that things function. This is going to be a nothing burger, but what a waste of time and space Face, and I guess just good job outing uh, seriously, yourselves. Seriously, right, exactly.
1: Now, now everyone knows. I, mean, I was thinking about that the other way, like this dry sand effect of, of having an LBGDQ section. is like, huh, I wonder if there's... Maybe they're actually doing the opposite of what they think they're doing. It's like, oh, those, there's where they are. There, there, there's, <laughs> there's all the books that I want to read. I don't know. And that, that's that's probably... I don't know. There's an angle on that that's completely garbage, but I, it's also funny at the same time. I hope... I. What I'd like to see the library board do is just string them along for, like, years. You know what we'd like to see from you to, to really make a—we would like a five—we <laughs> need you to read all these books. And
0: Can you present your argument in a Leslie yeah, nope set of 15 we, we're binders We're going to need each graphs. of your
1: board members of your church to read all these LBGQ books, cover to cover, and <laughs> report in detail and answer on some... specifically what's in them. We need you to yeah, take some And there's going to be a multiple choice yeah. we'll get, bring your number 2 pencil we'll have some bubble forms and um you know we'll see you in 2 years if you've read these 500 LBTQ books that you can speak on cogently and in detail. Uh, That'll be an awesome um. troll. That'd be an unbelievable troll. <laughs> okay, any, let, let's let's do You know, oh, I ahead. did
0: see at least I would say in response to this, when Book Riot tweeted about it, at least one author said, well, now my publisher and I are going to send some copies of yes, my queer right. book to this library for free. And it's going to arrive on a rainbow
1: Wells so Fargo wagon pulled by yes. a unicorn, and it's going to be great. <laughs>
0: right. yeah. If, if this public library gets flooded with super gay books, <laughs> so that great. would be just the um,
1: best. Let's do a couple of... Let's do Potpourri. Book Riot Podcast Potpourri. we been a minute. We're running along already. So this is more of an annotated thing. But you found that—I didn't even see this. You texted or uh, slacked it to me—that um, they're going mm-hmm. to publish versions of Mary Shelley's original text of Frankenstein. If you listen to annotated—did that did make it into the show where we talked about how um, Shelley, uh, Percy Shelley— Edited and rewrote a lot of it to make it kind of worse, and like the original manuscript of Frankenstein might be better, like more concise. But anyway, that there, there's been in um, I think at the Bodleian at Oxford. No, Bodleian's at Yale. What's the one? at, Is it a Bodleian? I'm getting my uh, snooty libraries confused. Anyway, the Oxford. Yeah, I was. Anyway, like, I don't know it doesn't. What the, it doesn't, what doesn't what matter. I think the are. Oxford <laughs> has the, Mary Shelley's original manuscript, which by by some people who've read it. Thinks that this might be a better version of Frankenstein. 2018 is the 200 year anniversary of the publication of Frankenstein, so it's not a surprise. But I thought that was—I'm going to buy one of these for sure. I'm going to take a look at one of these. Um, There's a link in the show notes if you want to know more about that. And uh, you want to do the the hair and the, the, the 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 human detritus and old book story?
0: Yeah. Oh, my God. This is just a weird story. Like, that's how I put it in our agenda. It's just weird, colon. Here's the headline. Um, A researcher at the Schaffer Library in New York discovered what they believe to be a lock of George Washington's hair inside an 18th century almanac. The strands are thought to have been given to the book's owner by the son of Alexander Hamilton. (laughs) And there's, like, a bunch more information about this, but it's just amanda was like so is this going to be hamilton part two like it's just you know from an era where people exchanged hair as a keepsake so apparently it's probable that martha had given eliza some of george's aside, hair i don't like that and in turn okay.
1: that just i i, didn't. I don't know
0: can we just have a moment to be glad that we don't, don't exchange like hair There's anymore nothing acceptable
1: about that anyway go ahead
0: yeah, no. So Martha Washington gave Eliza Hamilton some of George's hair, which was in turn given to their son, James Hamilton, who later distributed it strand by strand as a precious memento to close friends and family. And some of those strands are in this book. Of course, there's no DNA. It, the, so like, the, we don't have 1, George Washington's DNA you can't confirm. It's 1,000%
1: the cat's hair. <laughs>
0: but it's like just how even like if i'm paging through an old book for, yeah. at the library and i'm like what is this i think i'd be like gross oh, there's yeah. hair in this I book leave the but li- i you immediately even set the book down and run right.
1: I, don't, I don't i'm not like oh i
0: light it on fire look, hair. and who might it be like just how this even made it to be a story
1: no no is, i don't like that no, I, no, I, I like,
0: like, I'm kind of flabbergasted. No, I don't like
1: the exposure of the hair arbitrage economy. Oh, oh wait,
0: hang on. No, we, we know this because there's a librarian who further examined the almanac. Read the the details, yeah. Shinsky. Um, yeah. That uh, there was an envelope where the lines, Washington's hair were scratched out. Um, so they have some, some written indication that this is George Washington's hair. But like, Why? I I
1: don't don't like the the celebrity hair economy of the early, late 18th century America. There's nothing about this. I like um, enough of that story. Okay. Uh, I need to go wash all of myself after hearing about that. I don't like that. Your brain. Uh, So that's where you can find more details in the show notes. If you have related links about the distribution of human detritus of celebrities, please do not email us at podcast at Right Now. I do not want to hear. No.
0: But you know what? If you have some delight or a candidate for hero of the we week, do. my we, heart could really use could that. We
1: could use a add a girl story uh, for sure. Yep. Uh, but as always, feel free to email us at podcast at bookwright.com. Got a lot of script feedback. I guess we'll save that. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll come back around to script. Um, some points that some folks were making that I wanted to, to, to get your take on. Uh, thanks to our sponsors this week, including Libby. You can go check out Libby. Sometimes I Lie. And a girl like that. Links to the show notes available there. Um, again, next week is our two hundred and fifty show. If you do have a question for us, now it's it's kind of like um, Vito Corleone's uh, daughter's wedding. You know, you you can ask a question now. Don't we're not going to make a whole big deal out of it, but you got it. There's a window for your question asking. Could be about whatever. Um, we'll see if there's anything interesting that floats to the top there. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope we didn't depress you too much. Again, the Great Reckoning um, is quick. I think the speed, I think we're, and, and hopefully that continues so we can get through this particular tunnel forever how long it may go. Rebecca, thank you.
0: Thank you. Have a good one.